Agua. Had it not been for getting punched in the gut and thrown to the ground, I would not have had the success that I have now. So I, I directly attribute my success to my failure. I know what did Hamlet say? I must be cruel to be kind. It sounds weird, doesn't it? The thing is, is with it comes to adversity, whether it's physical, psychological, or even spiritual, it's a necessity in order to grow. Hi, I'm Rick Sanchez, and this is the Rick Sanchez Podcast. I'm so glad you're there with us, and we're a part of Agua Media, see? I don't know if you guys are watching us on TV, but if you were, you would see that the cap right there says Agua Media. Oh, isn't that cool? You know, I think sometimes we have to talk about what we can learn from each other, right? And man, I've had a pretty full life, so I, th- th- this is one of the best, most heuristic uh, experiences that we can have. And that's what we do. There are so many people in this country, including yourself, possibly, who's looking for some ideas about how to get through things and, and how to pick up that information that gives you that insight that makes you perhaps develop yourself better, either from a skill set standpoint or even from an inspirational standpoint, whether it's because you want to be a better drummer or because you want to be a better wife or mother or husband. And we've talked about a lot of things like how to make sure we always deploy routines. If you don't have a routine, find one, my friend, because you will not succeed without one. But one of the most difficult things that we're going to be seeing, especially in this coming year, if what the economists say is true, is people who lose their jobs, people who end up looking uh, down a cliff and wondering how far does that go and why does it seem like I can't find the top anymore? And that's what happens to a lot of people, and it happened to me, right? And, and for me, it was, well, can I just say this to you? It was one of the most humiliating, most difficult, most trying, most crying, literally crying. Like I would cry a lot. And I never wanted to do it in front of my wife and kids, so I would find a closet at night where I would go and just cry and figure what happened. One day I was one of the highest rated television news anchors in America with my own show on CNN, seen worldwide. Hell, I had people coming to the CNN headquarters just to pay $50 to do the Rick Sanchez tour. And I was interviewing presidents and heads of state and um, I just wrote a book and all of this was happening and it was pretty exciting for a little immigrant kid who never had anything, right? A refugee who came to this country whose parents never made more than $10,000 a year combined income and suddenly I was sitting in the catbird seat, so to speak. But on one day, just like that, I got a phone call that said, you're fired. Bye-bye. You no longer work here. And not only did they say you no longer work here, they also said, you're tainted. And if you're not tainted enough, we're going to make sure you're tainted. So not only was I gone from CNN, I was also gone from NBC. I was gone from CBS. I was gone from ABC. I was gone from everything that was part of that national conversation where some people can get jobs like me. And not only did I no longer have that $850,000 salary, but I was going to lose my house in the process. And uh, there was a time when I thought, well, 
what I know is how to be a journalist and a television news anchor. So I could just go and be a television news anchor somewhere else. And then I realized I couldn't, that nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with me because of the way my story was playing out. And that's when it got really painful. For example, I got to CNN because I was the highest rated anchor in the history of South Florida. I was the guy who did the news when local news mattered, right? People in South Florida used to say, I've got to go home. I've got to see what Rick Sanchez is going to say tonight. Not I've got to go home and watch the news. I want to go home and see, you know, there was, oh, there used to be that guy in every market. And I was that guy somehow through luck or whatever, but I became that guy. I was the guy that all South Florida would come and watch for a long period of time in South Florida. When I started uh, doing the news on Channel 7 and developed it into one of the most copied formats in the country because we did news differently. And it was that that led me then to NBC and NBC led me to CNN. And then one day, it all came crashing down. It all came crashing down. And suddenly I had to kind of remake myself, right? But at first you don't remake yourself because you want to do what you're used to doing. So I called around and said, okay, if uh, the networks won't hire me, maybe a local news station. Now you would think that the guy who had the highest ratings in the history of South Florida would be able to call a local news station in Miami and say to them, and in this case it was WFOR, CBS. And I remember I talked to the news director and I said, you know, I think I want to come back. I'm going to be available to do the news. And she was so excited. Young news director, she was like, oh my God, your ratings record, your ability to do this, you're going to take us over the top. You're one of the most known persons in South Florida, which I, you know, which I was still. And uh, I was excited about doing that. Now, I, I know I was taking a step back, but sometimes you have to take a step back in life, right? And these are the lessons that we're going to talk about. So I was willing to take that step back. And then I got a call from her saying, I talked to the big bosses for CBS in New York. And they said, no, I can't hire you. And I was like beside myself. So here I was now, not only could I not have the job I had, I can't even come down. It's like a guy working at Walmart as a night manager, or the, 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 the guy who runs the Walmart, and then he loses that and he says, well, can I be the night manager? And they said, no. And, and then he says, well, can I, can, can, can I work the cashier? And they say, no. And then he says, well, can I sweep the floors? And they say, no, we just don't want you here. And you say, but I used to run this place. And that's kind of what it felt like for me. But then somehow, something happened. And I realized, and, and so will you if you're in this situation, so will you, that you can use your tools not to do specifically what you did, but you can use your tools and your skills to develop a new you, to develop another person. You know, somebody who's not Rick Sanchez, the newscaster, he may now be Rick Sanchez, the radio host, or Rick Sanchez, the guy who has a television show in Spanish because he happens to be able to speak Spanish. And in that world, they don't care about whatever the hell you did or said at CNN. And eventually, maybe even Rick Sanchez, something else. And I'm going to tell you about what that something else is. And you're going to get excited about that because it's what I want for you. This is what I want for you. So when I couldn't get a job anywhere. I then took three jobs because my wife and my children had to eat. 
mortgage had to be paid, right? I was there. And after losing the big job, I replaced it with three jobs. One of them was that I would get up every morning at uh, 5.30 in the morning and go to my kid's school and teach there. That way I didn't have to take them out of the private school because it cost a lot of money. So the school said, look, if you're willing to come here and teach media, we'll let your kids go to school here for a discount. So that was one. And then when I was done with that, I got a job at iHeartRadio doing a radio show. And that radio show was placed in between like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. And I was doing what is conservative radio, but to Latinos. That was really good and really cool. And I stretched myself to the point where I don't think I've ever learned more in my life than from that experience. You want to know what's scary? Here's scary. Be told you have three hours, fill it. You have three hours, fill it. Start talking. Be interesting. Because if not, you're out. And you got to fill it. And you got to come up with stuff. See, when you do local news or when you do network news, you're reading a lot of teleprompter and there's a lot of people writing your stuff. When you're doing talk radio, it's you and the listener. And it's a one-on-one conversation. And it's, it's, it's a skill set I didn't have. And then I'd leave there and I'd go at three o'clock in the afternoon to another place to do uh, a, a television show at a Hispanic TV station. And it was far away and it was hard. And then late at night, sometime around eight or nine o'clock, Fox News Latino was giving me a try and were paying me a little bit of money as well to do a, a guest host segment where they would interview me for their Fox Latino segment. So I had four jobs, four jobs. And it was hard. But here's, here's the story I really want to tell you. And here's the part that I think is really exciting. Because I was doing those jobs, I learned things that I didn't know before. I learned about marketing because they make you, when you're, for example, doing a radio show, they make you find clients that are going to support your show. So you have to meet people and have dinners and lunches with them and tell them about your show. And they're going to tell you about their dental practice because now you're going to go on the air and sell their dental practice. So I realized that there was also an advertising part of this and a marketing side of this and that I had a brand and the place I worked had a brand. And how do they then pay me based on what I say about your product if you come and you want the Rick Sanchez show to talk about your product. So suddenly I was learning all these things that I never knew before. My skills were the same, but growing, and I was stretching myself. I was stretching myself, and it was painful, and it was hard. But I was doing this, and you can too. So losing your job Getting a, a, a hit is not the end. It's the beginning of something usually better. So I'll finish with this. Because I was doing iHeart, because I learned marketing, because I learned, learned branding, because I learned the value of my particular brand and name, and because I learned how media entities then sell that to make money, I came up with a plan. There was a guy who was a doctor and he had a business and he asked me if I would do 
commercials for his brand. And I said, no, let's not go through the television station or the radio stations anymore. You and I, don't pay me. Make me a partner in your company and we'll get a television show from one of these companies and we'll get the avails. In other words, for every, if, if you're doing a show for, that's a half hour long and they have nine minutes of commercials, we're going to get four and a half minutes of those commercials so we can put whatever we want to sell on there. And in this case, it was a company that I now had a part of. And that's how we did that. We, we literally triangulated the Rick Sanchez brand with a TV station that needed a good show, and I thought I could provide it with them, with my company coming in and taking the avails, which otherwise we couldn't afford to pay for. So I was working for almost nothing. But I thought there was a dream there. Imagine if we can use those commercials to blow up this company. And with, with, by doing so, think about this now from a business standpoint. What do you need if you're growing a business? You need customers, right? But to get customers, you got to pay tons of money in marketing. Well, I had an opportunity to have my own show. I would take half of the availabilities for commercials. That's four and a half minutes at a half hour. And I would specifically use those to sell my product, my company. Well, lo and behold, we started doing that and the phone started ringing. And our company, Cano Health, became the fastest growing healthcare company in the entire United States. And we started signing up four, five, six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand new members a month at 2000 p.m. p.m. That means per month per member. Do the math. Four and a half years later, we're a publicly traded company on Wall Street, and it's a $4.4 billion company. And somehow, because I hurt, because I cried, because I suffered, because it sucked, because I had to remake myself, because I had to stretch, I came out better in the end. It's so hard to see that when you're going through it. It's so hard, but it is a formula for success in so many ways. I know this is going to sound so bizarre. You have to fail to succeed. You have to fail to succeed. And there are going to be those, not you, but there are going to be those who can't somehow get out of that hole. They can't. 77 to 80%, according to statistics, can because they find a way and they get something in the end that's better than what they have. That's hope. That's knowing. That's believing. It's what happened to me. And I say it because I know it can happen to you. This is just, you know, a part of my life. You know, interesting. One of the guys who uh, saw me when I was at my absolute worst and was introduced to me at the time and when I walked into that radio station, that iHeart radio station, everybody was looking at me like I smelled horrible, saying horrible things about me behind my back. And sometimes not behind my back. There were, there were, there were two guys on the air who literally were telling their listeners that they shouldn't listen to me and that they should hate me. Jimmy Cephalo and some other guy on the air. I forgot his name, Ruiz or Lewis or something. They were literally saying the most awful things about me to their listeners. <laughs> nice, huh? But we overcame. Scotty was there. 
it was a tough time. Uh, Scotty, obviously our listeners know you already, but um, it, it, you, you never said anything to me because you were always one of the kind ones, but, uh, but you knew what was happening around, around uh, what, what you and I were doing. Scotty was my producer, my first radio producer who basically taught me how to do this business. <laughs> yeah, I definitely knew. In fact, I, I remember when I was approached about taking the job and, and I was talking about it and the rumor started spreading around the building and people, you know, really, you're going to go, you know what, you know what he said, right? Right. You know, he's, and, you know, he's an anti-Semite. Uh, he's an anti-Semite. <laughs> you're Jewish. What are you doing? You, you, right. you know, what is your family going to think? But, um, you know, it's funny because my, my, I don't know if I've even ever told you this, but my first uh, memory of you, Rick, is I had moved down to Florida in 95. Uh, we lived in Boca Raton and in Boca Raton at the time they had the Miami channels uh, we were getting. The value jet crash, uh, 1996. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I can actually remember Rick Sanchez on TV and who this person is and and you covering it. And then years later, 10 you know, years later, I remember seeing you on CNN and you always had this larger than life personality. You were you were you were just something to be seen on TV. You couldn't take your eyes off or if you heard, you, you know, if you heard you. And when I first met you, it was like this is a shell of the man I remember. I mean, <laughs> at that point, I didn't know all the trials and tribulations other than what I saw in the media and the news and from my own research, but I never spoke with you. And I saw somebody that, you know, you still had your, your confidence, but you were, you were missing something. You were almost like a, a pebble in a good way to put it. Um, mm. And Jerry, I says watched I was, you. Jer Jerry just, he's in the room here with us. And uh, he just said, I was broken. Was I broken? Yeah. You, you were broken. Yeah. yeah. And you did a good job of covering it. I mean, I saw through it in a way, but, and most people didn't see the brokenness, but as I got to know you personally, I could see you had a lot of self doubt. There was times when we'd be preparing for a show and you were like, I don't know what we're doing today. How am I supposed to fill these two, three hours? Yeah. What do we have you? And you used to have me line up probably 50 times what we needed because <laughs> you just didn't have the confidence in you. And chances are you only went three topics out of those 50 because you were that good. Uh, you know, but over time, like you said before, I watched you learn the marketing. I learned, I watched you learn the sales, which are things you don't have to deal with in TV. Right, right. You were learning these things. And the most interesting thing about all this is, and I think kind of circling back with what you're saying is you never had a plan for these things. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to go into radio and then I'm going to, I'm going to so, parlay that into TV, into Spanish TV, into a big business and all. So you so created listen, these so, opportunities for so yourself. So listen to what you just said. Had that not happened to me, had I not been canceled in a humiliating mm -hmm. fashion, I would argue in some measure unfairly because, you know, you make a mistake, you say something, you regret, you apologize, you say, oh, my God, I didn't mean it. But no, sorry, no apologies here. You're out the door. Mm -hmm. OK, fair or unfair, it happened. But if that doesn't happen, I never learn those skills. I never have to stretch myself. And that's where we bring in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where we bring in Jeff Butler, Jeff. Um, knows as much as anybody about uh, this type of, uh, of 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 situation because he works with people. He works with, you know, Jeff, you've worked with what? Uh, tell us some of the companies that you've worked with and some of the CEO on down C-suite people who you've helped with their own uh, scenarios, so to speak. Gosh, I was brought into quite a bit of different companies, anywhere from Amazon, Google, LinkedIn, basically being able to give different perspectives on how do you work effectively together with people in difficult situations such as these, as we're speaking about now. When I say that if 
you had told me while I was going through it that somehow what I was going through was the greatest thing that could happen to me. Um, I would have thought I, I would have thought that was nuts, right? Mm-hmm. But now I look back on it, uh, Jeff, and and I say, had it not been for getting punched in the gut and thrown to the ground, I would not have had the success that I have now. So I I directly attribute my success to my failure. I know what did Hamlet say? I must be cruel to be kind. It sounds weird, doesn't it? Hundred percent. But the thing is, is with it comes to adversity, whether it's physical, psychological, or even spiritual, it's a necessity in order for growth. And the cool thing is that I would rather bring up here because we are concerned about what's going on with the economy right now. Pandemic just happened. Mm-hmm. We just experienced that, and we've learned we can actually go through difficult times and having to completely change our environments in order to stay afloat. So if people are worried about that, I would say, look, we went through a whole pandemic. People died. Like, yes, there will be tough things in the current economy, but we had some real trial and tribulations very close to us. So I think we're in a very good spot to bounce back quite quickly, psychologically. What what do you tell uh, CEOs? What do you tell C-suite guys who come to you and they feel like they're, you know, done, finished. Uh, they have fallen. They've been fired. They what, what? 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 Well, how do you lift them? How do you get them through that episode when they're in the uh, in the depths of depression? Uh, to coin a phrase, turnaround. Being like a psychologist per se, I don't necessarily do the more psychologist perspective. But one thing, if you are in that position as you were, Rick, with those abilities that you got to where you were, you first had to acquire certain skills right? You're extremely charismatic. You have a really good sense of people, right? And that's going to translate to some other space, plus highly intelligent. So you can learn skills quickly to learn marketing, sales, et cetera, right? So those can translate over to other skills. What, what, what is it though? What is it that happens in a person as far as you can tell when you dealt with all these, or let me ask the question this way. Is, is there a characteristic that you see in um, in management types or others mm-hmm. who have been successful that will make them less apt to fall apart uh, when they take that hit? Two characteristics, fortitude and malleability. Say again, so fortitude yes. and... Fortitude and, and malleability. Okay. Because think about it. If someone's successful for so many years at a certain position... They're going to be locked into that way of behaving, but they have to have that malleability because the world changes and they have to acquire new skills in order to accommodate those consistent changes. Most leaders that don't fail don't switch their current skill set to work with changing times. And that's why a lot of them become obsolete at a certain point. Malleability. That's an interesting word that you're using. The ability to reshape yourself, right? To to mm-hmm. bend into the environment that you now need to go in, like water, like agua, which is why we call this agua, agua media, which is very much a Latino thing. Latinos lose jobs. Okay, fine. Next. You know, they, they don't dwell on on issues they don't dwell on problems i think that's probably a pretty important uh uh that's probably a pretty important attribute to have um scotty when you and i were going through this thing 
I, I think every day was a lesson, right? And oh, the, yeah. you you, you also and and this is this is the the takeaway here. When you're in that situation, you somehow have to find the 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 rigor within yourself, right? The intestinal mm -hmm. fortitude to not let a the situation or the people around you who know that you're weak try and beat you down. And and I I kind of had a feeling that in 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 a very competitive business like the media world, there is yeah. some of that, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that I mean, you saw it firsthand, and you were. You were coming into the building as a known personality nationwide, which is a threat to other people's sales because that's what people are competing for is the sales revenue. So if people want to spend money there, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that right there. But every day, I watch your skills sharpen. I mean, you were already a people person, but you never had to deal with people on a telephone on a live radio show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... and you used to get nervous about taking calls, but over time, you, you learn to enjoy taking those calls and talking to the people, especially the regulars and the people that would come in and give you a hard time. And, and, and just like Jeff is mentioning, these are skills that you had that you were able to remold into something that you were able to grow and adapt to the business world then, not just the media and the performing side of things. Jeff, as we go into uh, this so-called recession, and I say so-called because there's actually some economists out there that think it's going to be a short-lived recession. Some people even say there may not be a recession. But I, I, I think the prevailing sentiment is we are going to be hit by a recession, which means, and we're seeing this already at Twitter, for example, where they were all fired. Now, apparently, they're trying to rehire them. But uh, I think uh, Facebook, slash meta is firing thousands of people, as are other companies at this point. Uh, th 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 there is going to be a lot, there are going to be a lot of people who are hurting as a result of losing their jobs. What advice do you give someone who is going through that situation? Yeah, really good question. Uh, of course, meta and Twitter are facing their own issues, but I actually got a call last night from my mother, who is a tech director. And she told me that her entire department is being slashed, even though they're cash flow positive. Wow. Now, as her son, I sat back and that bothered me a lot because she's getting close to retirement. She wants to wind down a little bit and she might have to learn new skills. So I started asking around, hey, what do kind of project managers earn with her level of experience? And it turned out it was more than what she currently was earning. And hmm. fortunately, since she was work working really hard at the current position, her boss was like, look, we're cutting this department, but we want to keep you. What do you want to do? So now she has an opportunity for the first time in several decades to do something completely new that she's never touched. And the way that she got into the company was she had her company that she built was acquired. So she's been doing her same thing of real estate for about 10, 20 years. Now she has the first time in her life to actually say, hey, maybe I'm also good at something else. Let me apply that. You are onto something there, Jeff, because I think one of the biggest enemies we have toward growth is comfort. Um, and when you become comfortable in a position, you only know that and you don't push yourself to get anything else. And for the longest time in the model of our economy here in the United States, people would go to work for a company and some of them would retire from the company that they joined right out of college. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, but still, there are those who look at their jobs as who they are rather than what they happen to be doing right now. They get too comfortable. And it's that comfort that eventually, if you stay there long enough and you're too comfortable, 
you're never going to be able to, you may have a harder time remaking yourself if now you're too old to be able to do something, right? Definitely. And the way to think about it as a mindset shift is that company you work for is one customer you have. Yeah. Right. If you're working, let's say Uber, then that's the second customer. But the thing is, is as, as you run a business, you can have tons of customers. So if one fires you, you're like, okay, well, I have all these other customers. The way to think about your job is that you have a one paying customer who's paying your salary, paying your mortgage. And how are you going to work with that per current customer? If you're worried about that customer, maybe you have to work on something else. Mm. Right. But thinking of yourself as like your own sole proprietorship is kind of a good mindset for most people. Okay. So let's talk about the mindset here because I think this is the most important part of this. Right. So, um, what we have realized in this conversation from my experience, from our experiences, when you get knocked down, there's a sense of almost desperation in you that makes you find something in you or in the circumstances. But why is it that if you don't get knocked down and you're just going day to day as the chief marketing officer or the, and I see this all the time in the, in the, in the uh, C-suite level, you're the chief marketing officer, you are the chief financial officer, you are whatever. There's never a reason to really excel as long as you just do your job well. The only time you really become a superstar is when you have to by necessity. So it almost sounds like if you don't have a reason, you should find one or else you're not going to really supersede your present situation. Did I say that right, Jeff? 100%. Got it. And that could be you're a sick mother. That means you have to work. It means your devotion to your wife and kids. And your reason could be, look, I want my kids in the best school and that's going to be $35,000 a kid. And I got four kids. So I'm a hundred thousand over a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred, whatever the calculation is, $120,000 is going out the door right now. I got to excel because I got to keep paying that for the next 12 years, or it, it could be whatever it is, but you have to have that thing, sometimes God gives it to you like it did for me, just knocks you on your ass and said, you're an idiot. Guess what? Start over. Or sometimes you have to find it within yourself, but you have to find it, right? You have to have that thing. A hundred percent. And one thing I've noticed too, a lot with especially younger individuals who are in the workforce is that a lot of them say, I want to find purpose in my work. I need to have my employer give me a fulfilling, purposeful work. And I think that's actually backwards because if you look around and say how many difficult jobs there are, anything from being a hostess, maybe you're doing the garbage collection, something, that's hard. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's very fulfilling. It provides you a purpose to take care of your family and loved ones. That's your purpose. And to look at the company and say, give me this purpose in life, that's, in my opinion, very narcissistic because purpose is one of the hardest things to find in your life. Only you can find it. It's like saying, well, workplace, give me true love. It's like, no, you need to find true love for yourself. And I think a lot of people need to really focus on why are they there? How does this fit into the overall picture and reason for their existence? So the I think pur- that can give them a lot of fortitude. So the purpose is the thing that drives you to become uh, more complete, to grow, yes. to be better, to be smarter, to have more skills, whatever that definition is, because that's what gives you, key word here, 
And this is maybe the most important thing that we can talk about in this conversation. And it's a very simple word. It's called value. Value. What is your value? Right? Because if, 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 if all you got is a job at McDonald's and you happen to be the guy who throws the garbage out every day at McDonald's, you collect the grease and then you collect the unused buns and the bad meat and you, and, and your job is to throw it out every once in a while. That's not what most people would consider a great job. And it may be difficult to create value there. But if that's your job, and every time you go from the grease pan to the bins outside where you throw this crap away, you're whistling, you're smiling, and you're telling jokes to the other coworkers, you just created value. There's a value besides just what you do. So th there's something about finding value in life beyond your present circumstances that separates you from the bunch. And there's, there, there, you know, I have found that either you find it because you just need it. And if you're that kid and that's that job, it's because you know what? I need this to not be a dead end job. Eventually I want to be the guy cooking or eventually I want to be the guy who manages this McDonald's and this is the way I'm going to do it. So it's a combination of the push and the value that you need to create in yourself. Um, mm. I think that's a really important lesson. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I, I do. I mean, I watched you rediscover the value in yourself there. I mean, you went from having millions of eyes on you to, you know, fighting for, you know, 20, 30,000 listeners on an AM radio station in Miami that you could barely pick up, you know, <laughs> depending on how far away you got. Uh, so I watched you rediscover that value. But there was nothing about not, me that was special. It was just the situation. I had to, Scotty. If you I had to, I understand. Right. That's what I'm I saying. Mean, what am I? Just another, you know, another freaking guy think, who's trying think, to do the best he can out there, knowing that if he loses this gig and there's no money, who the hell's, you know, who's, what's he going to tell his wife when he comes home and the four kids who are going to a freaking, uh, you know, a private school? <laughs> what? And a, an important thing that, you know, I, I don't think we really mentioned yet is support systems. I mean, I'm sure you would have, you know, rise from the ashes eventually, by all means, not saying that it was only me or, you know, with the people around us. But I was there to help pick you up when you, you know, when you were feeling that loss of value mm -hmm. and, and having, you know, a strong sense. Your wife was there for you. Your kids were there for you, telling you that they love you. So to have those kind of people around you, especially when you're down, you need to utilize those those things because you know you can't always do things by yourself you can't yeah. always compartmentalize those emotions and feelings and by yourself yeah that's strength and i think that's true jeff i mean um you know we talk about value that we have to find value in ourselves sometimes we're pushed to find that value but i think scotty has a a, a very important point that sometimes it's the structure that you happen to have around you right. i think it's easier probably for a person who has the reason. In my case, my reason was I love my wife and I love my kids and I didn't want to let them down. If I happen to be at that point in my life, a person without a relationship with a special person, my wife or my children or whoever that person is in your life, it'll be harder probably to, to, to be able to manifest yourself into a new, uh, 
into a into a new situation for yourself, right? It's like when you actually have kids, you go through that shift of responsibility of it being not just about you, but none of you have others to worry about. And that's what a lot of people go through when they actually have kids for the first time. They're like, wait a minute, my job matters now because they're not getting fed, they're not being taken care of if I don't take responsibility at what I do on a day-to-day basis. Before it was, hey, I don't mind sitting in an apartment that's 300 square feet. If there's a cockroach, it's not a big deal. I'll squash it. But do you want that around your kid? No. And that's what creates a lot stronger of a why to propel yourself in the workplace to create value. So, so, wow. You know, if the idea for us is to come together and have conversations about this kind of thing and be deterministic about what it is that you need to do when you're in that situation, I think, Jeff, you just nailed it. And you know what you said, where I think this is like, if we were doing a book on this, this would be one of the most important chapters. You said, find your why. Find your why. If your why isn't there, there's nothing to stop you from doing things you wish you wouldn't do, right? Whether, whether it, because it goes both ways, gentlemen. We, We could be talking about your why will force you to learn new skills to get better, your lack of why could also make you a drunk, uh, a drug addict, uh, an alcoholic, uh, somebody who has no ambition and no reason for doing anything. When you have a wife and kids and or a husband and kids and you know that you have to uh, pay a mortgage, which is another good why, a mortgage, then you know you can't stay out till three o'clock in the morning doing coke. <laughs> or doing, or you know, or or, or doing whatever the hell you're going to do, you you just won't. So, it, it really it really breaks uh, both ways, I think, uh, for people, Jeff. Hundred percent, and that's the big shift that people can go through is if they have that strong why, they'll find that these difficult circumstances, like a recession, it's not about the recession. It's can I p- take care of the people who I love, or whatever why that you have. If it's maybe to do coke every evening, fine, whatever it may be, yeah. but. That will keep you going through. Good luck getting up when you're doing coke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I remember the 80s. I saw a lot of guys that suddenly were never there. But boy, if you ran into them around midnight, they were wide awake. <laughs> and there was this really weird little white powder coming out all over their, all over their noses. Scotty, how have you dealt with that? Because I know, look... Uh, I know that you're a guy who's fun-loving, and uh, I've seen you uh, when you were a younger man, and you love your mm-hmm. weekends, and you love to have your time. But then all of a sudden, you got two kids and a wife, right? Um, I mean, and yeah. Yeah, it, I it remember when, it, yeah, I remember when uh, the kids ahead. weren't there. But th- yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so do your I. why, right? That's your why. That's, I mean, that's my why now to, to the life that I, I am currently living. Yeah, 100%. My wife and I both. My wife runs a business. I work from home and work with you from home. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shoves, it's about the children. And that's what we do. Everything literally revolves around the children and not in the sense of spoiling them. You know, like everything you you want. You want this? You want a cheeseburger? You want cake? You want pizza? No, I'm talking about actually the life that we've set up, the, 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 you know, the routine. So like you said, going out, you know, I'm a guy that, you know, likes to stay up late watching movies and TV late at night. I have to be in bed by 1130 because I have to be up at 530 in the morning to get my kid to school, make sure his lunch is packed. So I have that why now. And it's 100 percent changed my life beyond anything that I could anybody could ever tell me. So we then need to almost feel sorry for the people who don't have 
that why. And I'll give you examples because we may be looking up to certain people who are the sons or daughters of very successful, rich people. Uh, the sons or daughters who were given that, you know, they, they, they knew they could have a C average and still get into Harvard or Yale. Mm -hmm. And who I'm talking about is the opposite of most of the people who listen to this podcast. This podcast is generally listened to by people who are outliers, who are ethnic, who are Latino, who usually have not had any of that shit, right? These are people who literally have always had to make themselves or remake themselves and sometimes when I talk to my peers, what I say is, thank God that you are in that situation because you'll have a more fulfilling life and you will really be able to reach new heights as opposed to somebody who's born into this stuff. And where the hell do they go from there? And a lot of them actually go no place. I'm not going to name names, but you know who I'm talking about. People who we know, whether it's uh, whether their last name is, uh, you know, Biden and their first name is Hunter. Or, or, or whether their you know, last name is Trump and their first name is Eric or whatever. I mean, there, there are guys who I, I almost feel sorry for them because they haven't had what we have had. Mm. And, 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 and that's another driver in what we're talking about that we should almost take advantage of. See as, see as, a, as, as some, I would rather hire the guy who's got that thing in his belly that tells me this guy's going to fight. This guy's going to be with me. This guy's going to be loyal. This guy's going to fight for my company. And I really want to see this guy and I want to be with him and I want him to be a part of my effort. As opposed to the guy who comes in, who's got all the answers right. and has already done everything. You know, Jeff, you run into these guys all the time. I imagine if you work with C-suite <laughs> guys, right? Yeah. In a joking sense, and when you look at some of the most successful people, one of the biggest things they have in common that you don't hear very often is childhood trauma. <laughs> it's mm. like something really bad, right? No, I'll call you there right when you're drinking water. It's something really bad that happened growing up. And like for me, I had my own in terms of like parents losing everything, you know, breakdowns of relationships. But that's what makes me value having air conditioning. Mm. Like I haven't had air conditioning until I was around like 23, right? I was like, oh, wow, you could change the temperature in your apartment? Genius. I didn't know that. So, but I am I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm so luxurious living. But right. those trials and tribulations and very modest upbringings give you such like, it would be fantastic if you just do a little bit above that. And you're like, wow, life's great. But imagine starting at the top. Well, all you have to do is go down now. Right. Like, I don't know if you know 50 cents son. Mm -hmm. you ever heard about yeah. that where he's really titled spoiled where he, 50 cents get him six thousand seven hundred dollars in child payments and the kid's like oh i can't do anything with with this amount of money it's like dude you're not even working and you're getting six thousand seven hundred dollars a month mm. that's like most people would think that's amazing right yeah. but for him it's not so coming up is much easier than starting up and going down when i got to uh nbc which was my first job uh when i left the local station in Miami, Channel 7, I remember I uh, thought I was completely out of place. I was sitting down surrounded by Tom Brokaw to my left and uh, uh, the other famous newscaster uh, who used to do Meet the Press. What was his name, Scotty? Um, uh, the, the guy who was a Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah, exactly. Him. Uh, uh huh? 
Tim Russert. Thank Tim you. Russert. Yeah, I had Tim Russert over here. I had uh, Tom Brokaw over here. I had all of these people, Chris Matthews, all of these people who I'd watched. And then sitting at the same table were the heads of the network. And then when I sat down to do interviews or we would plan things, sometimes I'd bring in the guest who would be, you know, the commerce secretary or the defense secretary or the commandant of the Marines or all of these people who I thought were so much more important than me, so much better than me. And the vast majority of them had a completely different upbringing than me. There's not a lot of refugees and immigrants in that environment. But yet, and this is what Jeff said, that I think is the most important takeaway in all of this. Statistically, the biggest overachievers in this country, the people who grow billion-dollar businesses, the people who are reaching those levels in this country, the vast majority, immigrants. Immigrants, <laughs> more often than not, historically throughout the 400 years of this country or whatever it is now, have been people who came here from someplace else, were super hungry, super thirsty, and somehow because of that, they were able to make remake themselves and made America a better place because of it. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's just a truism, Jeff. That comes at no surprise to me because it turns out that my partner was an immigrant from Venezuela and she won the green card. And now that she's here, things such as having more than one option for bread is considered a luxury. Like she was <laughs> in a full panic mode when she went to the grocery store and thought, whoa, there's 10 different loaves of bread. Which one do I pick? Cause where I come from, there's only one option. And a lot of times it's not even there. So point being is if you come in with that mindset, one, you're way more grateful for everything. And two, you know what bad looks like for a lot of different situations if it is an adversarial place where of which you're coming from. And I don't think a lot of people here in the States really realize like how good we have it in a lot of different things. There's one thing, though, that troubles me now that is going on. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I talk to a lot of young folks. I don't know what we want to categorize them as, Gen Zs or millennials or whatever. But I will hear them say, you guys... Your generation had it easy. We got nothing. We got nothing to look forward to. We got nothing to aspire to. Uh, we're never going to be able to own a house. You know, you've heard these conversations over and over again. And I'm and I'm just thinking to myself, really? Uh, wh where is that coming from? That, that, that sense that there's no place to, or no way to elevate yourself in America. Is, is that part of the woke thing that's going on? Because uh, I'm not sure I, I it's accurate, Scotty. No, I, I would personally not say it's part of the woke thing. I, I would say that's just a generational, a generational thing that happens every generation. It's that I'm coming of age. I'm in college. I'm graduating college. I'm out of college working my first job. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't know what my place is in life. What's my purpose here? It's just that coming of age. And I, I truly think every generation kind of goes through that. I've heard stories of the kids in the 70s or in the 60s going through that. And, mm. you know, so I'm not so sure that that's, you know, just us as millennium, me as a millennial or the Generation Z next to us. But I, I think that's part of what helps people rise from the from from the bottom. You know, it's that it's that question that that not knowing of where you're going in life and what you're doing. And now I need to become something. I, I think that's part of how it happens a lot of times. Yeah, but it sounds like a losing sentiment. And it, I believe, Jeff, it's very prevalent out there today, more so than it I've ever heard it in my lifetime. Anyway, I could be full of shit. But what do you think? 
I think, well, there's different parts of truth in that, right? There's definitely some fallacy. If you look at research and how much cars cost compared to, let's say, 10, 20 years ago, accounting for inflation, it's a little bit more expensive. College, mm-hmm. a little bit more expensive. Houses, a little bit more expensive. But they did, we did not have at that time is the amount of information that there is today online. Mm-hmm. So there are pros and cons. The other flip side is when people like to sulk around and say, well, I can't accomplish everything. Things are more expensive, which is true yeah. to some extent. It's because of online world, we're able to formulate and sort of tribalism, go into different categories and say, well, you know what? I feel bad. Let me find the people who also feel bad online mm-hmm. and tell them how bad my life is. And they'll also agree with me on how bad their life is. And it sort of snowballs itself. So that's why on a lot of the media we have today, it's so polarized because if you feel one way, you can find a heck of a lot of people who believe the same thing online. That will further your position on whatever it may be. Yeah, it's a little bit of that wah, wah, wah. Yeah. And I can't help but, you know, just say, guys, for 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 you, if you're a, you know, a 30-year-old gal or guy and you're feeling like the world is against you, there's no opportunities for some reason, look at some of the people who came here with absolutely nothing. I mean, you have an education. You speak English. You have a roof over your head. You drive a car. I mean, there are many people who've come to this country for the last 100 or 200 years who did not have a car, did not have a roof over their head, did not know how to speak English, had no formal education. And somehow they were able to look at that opportunity and say, this is amazing. I'm going to kill it with nothing. So how can you have something and see nothing when others have had nothing and saw so much? That's is that the question for the ages, guys? Yeah, I, I would almost throw it out that it's that's all part of entitlement. It's all part of entitlement, really, isn't it? Because if you're coming here, you 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 have nothing, you don't expect anything, and you're growing for that. If you have everything, there's nothing else to acquire. Huh. Yeah, my parents made $10,000 a year combined income yeah. through most of my life. And I had a, I grew up in a barrio and our once a month we would go to McDonald's. And I remember we had a grape soda and I thought I was the richest kid in the neighborhood because that's how I perceive myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm wealthy. I wasn't. I look back on it now. We were in poverty, but we didn't know we were in poverty. It really comes down to how you perceive yourself. And that's not about reality. That's about perception. <laughs> and, and that's what, that, I mean, if, 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 if we take that same formula and apply it to the business world, right? If, if you perceive yourself as a valuable member of your company with a lot of upside, you will be a valuable person of, in your company with a lot of upside. If you perceive yourself as a, as a dead ender who's got no place to go, you will be a dead ender, Jeff. I think that ties back to the original message of this whole podcast, which is being able to face adversity and growing. And a lot of people who are immigrants who come here understand the limitations that were upon them in their current environment. They come here, they're like, whoa, we can have a vehicle to actually grow in wealth and we don't have to have the government all of a sudden take our business, which did happen a lot in Venezuela. We we have those things here that actually provide that outlook. So they look at the world completely differently because they come from a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. Hence, having faced a little adversity gives them a leg up in this current environment. You can remake yourself. You just have to find your why. And if you don't know what that why is, figure it out and figure it out quickly because that is how 
you can become successful, no matter the odds. And that's what this conversation, this podcast has been about. This is heuristic. This is a, this is a teaching moment, I think. And that's what we try to do, to learn from our own experiences. And if we've learned anything from this conversation, as you learn the most when you're down in your luck the most, when you fall the farthest is when you rise the highest. Isn't that bizarre? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it seems to be the case that uh, happens uh, consistently. It's almost a, a, a universal uh, a universal response to that kind of uh, stimulus. So, uh, guys, thanks so much. Uh, Jeff Butler, workplace strategist. Uh, Jeff, give yourself a plug. Is there anything you want us to plug for you? Is there anything you want folks to come away with? Is, is, do you want them to reach you if they want some uh, advice or some help? Yeah, if you want to check out some of the articles I've written about the issues that happened in the past economy or things that can help you out in the future, you can go to jeffjbutler.com. Again, that's jeffjbutler.com. Jeff Butler hates me, so don't go to jeffbutler.com and email him. He's he's very (laughs) upset with me for doing that, so jeffjbutler.com. It's jeffjbutler.com. Got it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the conversation. It's what we do. We have conversations about real things. We try to, you know, attack life lessons based on real experiences, something that's happening in the news or something that we can use to learn together because I don't think there's enough of this. We do it from a Latino perspective, but really we do it more from a learning perspective. I'm Rick Sanchez. This is the Rick Sanchez Podcast. We're a part of Agua Media. For Scotty and for Jeff, I want to thank you for being with us and let me know if you have anything that you'd like to add to this conversation by reaching out to us at aguamedia.com. Obviously, we're a podcast that you can find on Spotify or on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you happen to be seeing us on YouTube, then subscribe, subscribe, baby. That's it. Andale. Adelante. Vamos con todo. And as we like to say, con latitude, which means Latino attitude. Dale. Agua.